Thank you for praying for us. Um, just want to give you some updates uh, about what's been happening um, in Kuchin. Uh, transition was slow. <clears throat> Even though there were uh, frustrating days, God was gracious to remind us of his presence uh, with us and that he's for us. Uh, he has kept us these many days by giving us faith and joy. Kids have settled in well. Uh, Irene and Jeremiah missed their home church, attending the church service. Uh, meeting with people, especially meeting with people post-church service and even reading scriptures with their uh, fellow members. Jason and I are doing well. Uh, it's been a sweet few months for us. During uh, transitions like these, it is possible for frustrations to grow within marriage and let that affect you, especially your calling when you've moved for the sake of church planting. But in hindsight, I can tell you that God protected us from hurt and has moved us to share our frustrations to each other instead of being frustrated at each other. That is an answer to your prayers. Regularly, members keep sending messages um, and asking about how we've been doing uh, and encouraging us. Uh, there have been times when members have sent me verses uh, just to encourage us. So thank you. Um, you sending me those messages were God's ways of reminding us of how he continues to encourage us through his people. What well, can you be praying for us? Can you please pray that we will be in awe of Jesus? It is possible to lose that awe. Please be praying that we will be in awe of Jesus. Uh, it is he who sent us. Can you be praying for wisdom? Uh, uh, lots to decide and plan and have conversations with? Uh, can you pray for wisdom? Can you pray that we be prayerful? I've been reading through the book of Acts just as a means to prepare my heart for church planting in Cochin, and I'm convinced that you can really discern the health of a church by its prayer life. And so Benjamin and I really want to cultivate a culture of prayer right even before we plant the church. And so you can be pray, praying for us so that we'll be prayerful. Not just before, but during and after we plant the church. Uh, can you pray for a spirit of contentment? Um, we want to see fruits fast. We want people to keep coming. We want the church to grow. Uh, and it's possible to lose contentment in God. And so can you pray that we'll be content uh, with how God um, uh, produces fruit? And as we wait on him to see his hand at work. Um, yeah, that's it. So pray for an awe of Jesus within our hearts for wisdom, for prayers, prayerful lives, prayerful hearts, and for contentment. This morning, I was just going to say this evening. Sorry, I'm used to Kochi time. This morning, we're going to look at Matthew 28 and verses 16 to 20. Um, these, if you know, are the last few words in the book of Matthew. And in your schools, you would have learned for certain, this is reading 101, you never want to start reading a book at the end of the book. You always want to start reading at the beginning of the book. Because if you, you don't want to miss the point of the book. So if you look at Matthew 1 and verse 1, Matthew introduces Jesus as the son of Abraham, sorry, son of David and the son of Abraham. 
you want to go back to the Old Testament to see what, 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 was, Jesus, what was God talking to Abraham and what was God telling David? And when you go to the Old Testament, you see that God promised Abraham that there would be a seed and through the seed, nations will be blessed. So the seed has come. God told David that your son is going to sit on the throne forever. Who is that son? Was not Solomon. That son has come. The son of David has come and he's going to be on the throne forever. The king has come and his name is Jesus. And that's what Matthew wants us to know. Jesus came. He started preaching the gospel. People rejected him. In fact, they killed him. And people assumed that that would be the end of the story. But you see, Matthew's gospel teaches us that God decides how stories will end, not man. Jesus rose from the dead. That speaks volumes about Jesus. He rose from the dead. And now, in Matthew 28, before he ascends to heaven, he spends a few minutes with his disciples. This is Matthew 28, 16 to 20. This is a very special moment for the disciples. And as I read the text once more for us, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, I'm going to share two desires that I have uh, that I've been praying for as I prepared this text. And my desires, any preacher should have his desires spring from the text. So let me share those desires with you as I read the text once more for all of us. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now, when the, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. This is my first desire. That you and I will see Jesus and be filled with awe at the absolute authority that Jesus has over all things. And worship him. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Doesn't say some disbelieved and Jesus was angry and he condemned them. Listen, look, at, look at the heart of Jesus. Jesus continues to talk to them. He draws near to them in verse 18. So it wasn't as though they rejected Jesus. It was, this was a strange moment. Jesus was dead a few days back and all of a sudden a glorified Jesus has appeared in front of them. It was this moment of hesitation to draw near to Jesus to worship him. So they, they, they're doubting. They're not disbelieving Jesus. But it's, it's a unique moment for the disciples. Jesus doesn't condemn them. He doesn't. But he speaks to them. In verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them. The CSB says Jesus drew near to them. I love that. He came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is my second desire. That upon seeing Jesus, you and I will have confidence, faith, joy, and hope to go and to make disciples of all nations. Unless we see Jesus, we will not go. Jesus concludes, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isn't it sweet that Jesus did not begin with a command? Look at how he structures his words. 
He says, I've got all authority over all things. So he starts with his greatness. He wants the disciples to know that he's great. He's king to give them confidence. And then you know how he concludes it? He concludes with his closeness. He says, I am with you. Like it's almost as if he's come very close to them and saying, I'm not sending you alone. I'm coming with you. And within, between this, confidence giving truth and comfort giving truth is his command. So I've got three points for my sermon today. First being the foundation for our confidence. That's verse 18. And the foundation for our confidence is Jesus' greatness. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want to spend a few minutes here looking at this verse because I believe these words are foundational to all that Jesus says in the following verses. Understanding these words are important because it gives us confidence in disciple making. It gives us courage to go to go to the nations to fight fear. Now, tomorrow, day after, to fight disbelief for strength today. Now, tomorrow, day after, for hope, to go. We've got to understand what this means. So Jesus' words in this verse is not only foundational for great commission, meaning there can be no great commission without Jesus' authority. There will be no great commission without Jesus' authority. It's foundational for great commission. It's also empowers. It's the fuel for great commission. So much so that if I see, if I see Jesus sitting on the throne, having all authority at all times over all things, I will go. That's confidence giving. But we start with the word authority. It's a strong word. And when we hear, when we hear that word, we're probably thinking of those in power, those who have control. And those who have influence. And, and we submit to them. And we respect them. And we rightfully fear them. But with power also comes responsibility. Those who rule work to see people under their rule flourish. And so they make decisions and judgments in order to administer peace and justice. So authority denotes power and control and influence and the right to set rules, make decisions and judgments for the good of people under their rule. Jesus claims to have that authority. How much authority? All authority. Do you see that? Not some, not partial, not a little, not for a while. But all authority over all things, over everything. He says, all authority has been given me on heaven and in earth. Sorry, in heaven and on earth. All authority over all things. And this authority was given to Jesus. I'll come to that in a few minutes. But the point that Jesus wants to make is that Jesus has all authority now. Control and power and rule and influence over all things right now, over this the sound in this hall, the songs that we sang, the song that we will sing over you and over me, over people outside, over the conversations that we will have, the conversations that we had over our work, over our family, over our children, over our house, over all things. Not a thing, not a person, not an experience is outside of Jesus' control and influence. How can Jesus say that? And why would he say that? Well, Jesus can say that because he's the creator of all things. Colossians 1 says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation, meaning he is above everyone. 
Why? Paul writes, for everything was created by him. Meaning he personally was involved in the creation of all things in heaven and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him, for him. You, me, butterflies, kings, atoms, molecules, sand, beaches, sun, breeze, they exist because of him. They are there and we are here because of Jesus. And if creation exists because of him, he must be greater than all creation. Do you remember that event in Mark's gospel when all the disciples went to the sea on the boat? They're fishermen, experts. Fishermen should be able to swim. There's this violent storm, says the text. A great storm which is about to break the boat and the disciples, it says, they were close to death. They were scared that they would die. And they're really close to death. And what happens? Jesus stands on the boat. Who would stand on a boat when there's great storm? Water was almost covering the boat and about to break the boat. Who could stand on a boat? Jesus. And then what does Jesus say? Hush. <laughs> he really said that. Hush. And what happened? No more storm. Now, if you really want to understand what that means, go to the beach, look at the waves, and say, hush. Don't try it. It's not going to work. S silence in the sea. That's authority. But Jesus doesn't just create. He sustains. So Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, the Son, who is Jesus, sustains all things by his powerful word. He upholds all things so that nothing is lost or out of space. Gravity, you and I are, are glued to your seeds. I mean, I'm not sitting, but I'm glued to the floor. You woke up today, you woke up this morning not floating in the air. You know why? Gravity. Jesus, Jesus sustains gravity by the power of his word. Photosynthesis happened today, happening today because of Jesus. Oxygen coming out of these leaves, Jesus sustains it by the power of his word. Everything, every beat of our human hearts, every beat is sustained by the power of Jesus. They're sustained. So if things remain where they are because of Jesus, and if life continues to exist by his powerful word, then he must possess absolute authority over all things. He's a, he's a creator. As the creator, he sustains all things. He also has authority over rulers. So John chapter 18, when the Roman governor, representing the greatest power on earth back then, was talking to Jesus, he said, um, do, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I, this is Pilate, I have the authority, authority to release you, the authority, authority to crucify you. This is Pilate talking to Jesus. And then observe what Jesus answers, okay? Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. Like it was impossible for Pilate to speak to Jesus the way he did because he had received authority from Jesus. So Jesus didn't lose authority before Pilate. He gave Pilate authority for a little while. So when you come to John chapter 19 and, and you see the cross happening out there, Jesus is crucified, the cross did not happen.
happen because Pilate had greater authority than Jesus. It happened because Jesus gave him authority. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. No one can take my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. I've got the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. So the cross, the cross was not Pilate's accomplishment. It was God's plan. The cross was not a place of defeat for Jesus. It was a place of humility. It was not a path to his defeat. It was a path to his victory. Through the cross, he won over sin and death. On the cross, Jesus is still the king. The humble king. He's got authority over rulers. What about death? What about sickness? This is Mark chapter 5. Jairus' daughter is dying. She's weak. She's sick. She's dying. Reporters come to Jesus. Please come and save her. Because apparently Jesus has got the power to save her from death. Jesus comes. She's dead. Jesus meets with her. This is Mark 5 verse 41. Jesus holds her hand and he says, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And like the suspense in all movies, you're waiting like that. And what happened? What happened? Immediately the girl got up and began walking. I want you to think of dead people. What do dead people have to themselves? Nothing. Nothing. What can dead people do by themselves? Nothing. Nothing. Think about this. Someone has died. No life. There was no life in her. Jesus speaks and everything begins to exist again. Life is back. If Jesus can get rid of sickness and give life to the dead, it must be because Jesus has got power over sickness. So no sickness, no bacteria, no virus, not even death has got greater authority than Jesus. Jesus has all authority at all times. What about our salvation? You know, when you think of the word authority, you've got to keep two words in mind. One is the word power. And you see that Jesus has got the power. He, he's got the power to give life to the dead. But there's also another word that's closely related to the word authority. It's the word right. With authority comes right. Meaning you've got the privilege to do something and entitlement to something. Jesus will raise people from the dead because he has power. And Jesus will give salvation to people because he's got the right to give salvation. How do I know? Jesus said it. John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I love that. Never perish. Jesus can give eternal life because he has the right to give eternal life. And he has the right to give eternal life because he has worked for our eternal life. How do I know? First Peter 3.18. For Christ suffered once for all, for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Jesus, Jesus died instead of us. Jesus died for us. He died so that we will be saved from living in guilt and from condemnation. He died so that we will not fear death or suffering, so that we will not stand guilty before God, so that we will receive honor honor. Jesus gives us honor. He brings us to God. That's honor. And Jesus went to the cross for that. 
And because Jesus finished this work for us, Paul writes, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2, which is another way of saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Jesus receiving honor and authority means that he's finished the work for our salvation. Done. It's over. He's king now. He's king. So he's got the right to save us. What about our faith? Does Jesus have authority over our faith? Yes, he does. Jesus was talking to Simon in Luke chapter 22. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan wants you to doubt me, Peter. I want to sift you like wheat. Oh, the heart of Jesus. Jesus immediately acts. He prays to his father. And this is what Jesus says. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, I want you to listen to the next few words very carefully. And when you have turned, not if you have turned. When you have turned again, Peter, strengthen your brothers. When Jesus acts, it will happen. Peter will return because Jesus has just acted on his behalf. Jesus has authority over Peter's faith. So who has greater power than Satan? Jesus. Who will keep us? Jesus. Who will hold us? Jesus. Who will give us faith? Jesus. Who will cause us to turn to God? Jesus. Who will help us battle between doubts and fears and in the midst of uncertainties and all chaos in life? Who is going to help us look to God? Jesus. So listen to Jesus' words carefully. He's got authority over our faith. This is comforting news. This is comforting news. So when you think of disciple making, who is going to save people? Jesus. Who's going to open doors? Jesus. Who's going to protect us? Jesus. Who's going to give fruit? Jesus. What are we talking about? Jesus. <laughs> All authority belongs to Jesus. So we can go confidently. This is comforting news. I don't have to be someone to say, bring people to Jesus. Jesus is doing all the work, including giving me confidence to go. Elders, Redeemer Church elders, I don't know all of them here, but I know some of them. The rest of you were in the previous service. In the midst of godly angst, let this truth comfort you. When you have godly jealousy within you for your members, wanting their good, and you feel weak, you want to pastor them, and you want them to look to Jesus, let this truth comfort you. But this is also rebuking truth. You see, in our efforts to serve, it is possible for us, it is possible for us to become controlling. To think that everything depends on us. Planning, our work, our ideas, our presence. 
it is possible for us to have a high view of us in the church. And here is truth that confronts us. We We are here today and gone tomorrow. Not so with Jesus. He always is. In the church, there are no two kings. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus. And that's precisely what Jesus is saying in Matthew 18. There is no place that Jesus has no authority over. There are no people group that Jesus has no authority over. There is no king that Jesus has no authority over. There is no work that Jesus has no authority over. There is no experience that Jesus has no authority over. You see what Jesus' words can do? It gives us the confidence because he has all authority over me, over you, over life, over death, over viruses, over governments, over Satan, over conversion, over gospel fruit, over suffering, over afflictions, over rejection, over church planting, over Bible readings, house sitting, over discussions, over nations, over Redeemer Church of Dubai, over all things at all times. Jesus has all authority. And now, Jesus will give the command. Which brings us to the second point. Jesus gives us the command to obey. Now, when you hear these words, the command is not that of an unfriendly, rude king telling us, go. He's given us confidence. He wants the nations to know him. He wants the nations to know of a good king, a good savior, the savior. Go and tell them, is what Jesus says. I'm basically going to ask a few questions to the verse as a means to explain the verse. So, question one, who is speaking? Jesus is speaking. Who is Jesus? Well, the one with all authority. The one who has just finished the work of salvation, who just rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, and and having shown that there is nothing in this world that can hold him after having received authority from the Father. This is Jesus speaking with all authority. What is his command? Verse 19, make disciples. Who should make disciples? Well, Jesus was talking to his disciples, so disciples should be making disciples. What do disciples do? They make disciples. To be a disciple is to make disciples. All disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. Well, how do you make disciples? Go. By going. Where do you go? What Jesus said to all the nations, like really, to all people groups, whether Indonesian, South Korean, Japanese, Indian, Nepalese, Italian, French, whether Kenyan, Nigerian, Ugandan, South African, whether you're from Cameroon, whether you're Zimbabwe, whether you're from United Kingdom, whether you're from Ireland, Iceland, whether you're from Canada, whether you're from the United States of America, whether you're from Brazil, this is a goal to the nations to all the world and preach to make disciples enter their lives enter their cultures and live where people live and make disciples of Jesus what a privilege for you all to be in this city you really don't have to go to the nations the nations have come here they're right around you right out of the service just stand up and look around they're right around you go Go and make disciples of Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. 
But for some of us, maybe God is asking us to move to another place. Go. But wait, before going, look at Jesus. See Jesus. So you will find confidence to go. Look at Jesus for the sake of strength. What do you do after you go? Well, you preach the gospel to make disciples. That's Acts 14 verse 21. You talk to them about Jesus so that people's attention will turn to Jesus and submit to Jesus and you make disciples and then what? You baptize them. Same verse. You go, you baptize them. You want people to publicly confess before others that they love Jesus. They belong to Jesus. Their allegiance is to Jesus and to his people. And then what? You teach them, Jesus says. You go, you make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. Look carefully what Jesus says. Your teaching, your teaching is for the purpose of obedience. Teach them to, to, purpose, to obey. You want to work hard so that people really obey Jesus. Make obedient disciples of Jesus. And you see, the context in which all this happens is in the context of a local church. How do we know? Well, we see how the disciples obeyed. When we come to the book of Acts, we see that they preached the gospel because Jesus commanded them. They preached, preached, baptized, they planted churches, planted churches, planted more churches, planted churches, planted more churches, planted more churches, and planted more churches. That was what happened in the book of Acts. So how do you see the fulfillment of the Great Commission? You see that the Great Commission is fulfilled through church planting. That's why we have a high view of church planting at Redeemer. Because that's the way to obey the Great Commission. So, every church must be about disciple-making, and every church member must be about disciple-making. Every church must be for going. Every church must be for teaching. Every church must be for baptizing because that's the way disciples are made, according to Jesus. The church is where disciples will grow, will join, and will go from. This is why Andre and Jamal have gone to our build. To help with the church plan there. They were members with us. They've seen Jesus and they've gone. This is why Marwan and Marcy with Noah and Shia are in Beirut. <laughs> They're in Beirut in a very difficult situation. How do you survive in a very difficult situation? See Jesus. He's got all authority even in that situation. This is why Abet and his wife have planted a church in the city of Makati in Manila. Why? Because you've seen Jesus. You want to go and make disciples of Jesus. This is why Ben Winnington has gone to a very difficult place in the northern part of the U.S. called Vermont. And he's gone there to plant a church. Because he's seen Jesus, even though the task is hard, is difficult, he doesn't see fruit beyond. He doesn't see fruit, but he's gone. Because he's seen the authority of Jesus. People move when they see Jesus. They go. If the church... Is the context in which grace commission is fulfilled. And if the great commission falls under the authority of Jesus, then the church will grow because of Jesus. Jesus will see to it that the church will expand to all the nations. No threats will threaten him. No virus will end his reign. 
Satan cannot hold him. Jesus has all authority at all times, including his church. Therefore, our confidence for the growth of the church and for the expansion of the church to all nations is not in men. Jesus. Because without him, none of these things make sense. None of these things will happen. And Jesus closes with his comforting words. In the latter part of verse 20, which brings to my third point, the promise for our comfort. Jesus, is, Jesus promises his closeness to us. I really wish I was there. In Matthew 18, sorry, 28 and verse 20, really listening to Jesus talk. Because you can almost sense the disciples' angst. Oh, he's leaving. He's leaving. And Jesus saying, I am with you. One of the sweetest comforts in all of the Bible. I am with you to the end of age. This is a good king. This is a responsible king. Be encouraged that when Jesus sends, he comes with you. You know, I, I look at the enormity of the task, and I know that all the elders in this church think of the enormity of the task ahead of them as they think of ministry, they think of going or sending, teaching, and baptizing, and we admit we're weak and we need help. We just can't do it. But really, this is huge. Verse 20 is huge. One must look at it and say, I can't do this. So Jesus said, I'm with you. I am with you. So the Great Commission closes with the prom promise, which is the closeness of Jesus to the end of the age. Jesus does not say, I will join you eventually, but I am with you now. I'm not sending you alone. And John Piper says it actually, you could translate those words as without break. Jesus does not take a break. Does not. At all times, every day, he does not need break because he's God. And he promises his, pre his presence with us when there's success, when there's fear of rejection, in moments of doubt, when we are discouraged, when we are weak, when we are timid, when we are lonely, when we disbelieve, when we preach, when we teach, when we baptize, when we go to the nations. Oh, he knows we can't make it without him. He also knows that we are sent to a hostile world. He knows the enemy will do everything possible to discourage us and to sift our faith. He knows there will be anxious moments. He knows there will be fear within us. He knows there will be mockery from around us. And he says, I am with you. The one who has all authority over all things at all times says, I am with you. I am with you. If Jesus senses, he comes with us. There is no place that he senses where he will not join us. What a good king. What a gracious king. Well, friends, even before you leave from here today, consider Jesus. The one who has all authority over all things. Worship. Listen to him. Go. Go and make disciples. I'm going to close by reading Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, and then pray. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, be gracious to us that by your Spirit's work in us, that you will not send us out of this hall today without seeing your glory, your power, your control, your authority over all things and at all times. Please, please continue to do the good work in us so that we will see your greatness. Give us confidence to go and make disciples for the sake of your glory, for the salvation of all people, groups. Jesus, comfort us. Remind us again by your Spirit's truth because we, are, we will forget this. We'll probably forget this by the end of the day that you are with us. For those of us who are in fear, Jesus, comfort us. For those of us who are anxious, for those of us who are weak, and for those of us who are discouraged, comfort your people by reminding them of your continual devotion to your people. Jesus, be pleased to save. Please. And even as we sing now, oh God, let the nations rejoice. We pray that you would move us, if it is your will, to the nations. So that the nations will rejoice as they see your authority, your lordship, and your salvation to the people. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.